For the week of April 21st, 2019, this is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into all things Star Wars TV, as well as the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. This week, we're going to talk about the TV stuff that was released at Celebration. Yeah, that happened. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the Episode 9 trailer. And we're going to get into some stuff about The Mandalorian. And then next, we're going to talk about some Resistance. We're going to finish up our discussion in Season 1 of Resistance. There's a lot going on here at Star Wars TV Talk this week. And to help me with all of it is, of course, John. John, how are you doing? I am doing excellent. It has been too long. And, uh... We got quite a bit to cover with celebration wrapping up. So, uh, yeah, we got our work cut out for us. We got to, we got to dig in here. We do. We have a lot. So, uh, so let's talk about the only thing, not TV real quick. And let's okay. just talk about this new star Wars thing. So if you are someone that is like, I'm avoiding the trailers, I'm avoiding the very title of the star Wars thing, whatever it is that you're avoiding, I get it. Um, so go ahead and skip to about, uh, let's say five minutes past this point. <laughs> Okay, so five minutes past this point, and then come back on and join us. So, John, Star Wars Celebration, we were all expecting a little something. I think most people were expecting a trailer from Episode 9, and that's exactly what we got. Correct. And, boy, was it a a trailer. This thing, this was a lot of stuff to take in, but at the same, it was a lot, but at the same time, was it? No, it wasn't. It is still squarely a teaser. Like, let's not kid <laughs> yes. ourselves. This is not the true trailer, which we'll see later in the year. Um, but it was a perfect balance of let's hint at some really mm-hmm. exciting things to get people talking. Let's just yep. show that this is a fun adventure. The team's back together. Like they gave us just the little tiny hints of everything that we were hoping to see in the movie. So even though it, it's a brisk two minute teaser, uh, it feels like very substantial and that's good. Like I walked away from this saying, Oh, well that looks like a very interesting movie. I think I'm going to go see that. So I think it served its purpose. (laughs) Yeah. And the, uh, so the biggest thing that got me was of course the laugh. Oh, of course the laugh. (laughs) Whoa. So, and I, uh, we've been speculating about this stuff for people that are star Wars fans. Like, Oh, you know, is Palpatine really dead? Are we going to see him come back as a force ghost? All this stuff started happening from the very rumors of the force awakens. And uh, we're getting something mm-hmm. of him. And I don't know what, but uh, it's something. Well, if J.J. Abrams is to be believed, one of his main objectives with episode nine is trying to bring everything full circle, trying to tie in the prequel mythology with the original trilogy and give us a satisfying bow you know, on top of this trilogy. And in order to do that, you do have to hearken back to some previous themes some previous characters. We know we're seeing Lando. So even though this probably isn't going to be quite as, um, tightly reined in sort of, uh, remix like force awakens was, it does seem like, uh, he's going to be going very heavy on pulling in as many story beats and as many character beats as he can from the previous trilogies to just hopefully make it satisfying and give everyone a little something, no matter what era you came up in star Wars, hopefully you'll walk away saying, well, that was cool. Happy to see them again. Yeah. Uh, I, I started getting real antsy, um, when it shows Ray Poe and Finn, which we haven't seen that, that, uh, that three part together 
on, on like missions and it looks like we're getting something like that and then it looked like little uh, remnants of possibly the death star and then it fades to black and then a laugh of a certain <laughs> possibly the death star i like how you're couching that in safe terms like we're not utterly convinced that that is the death star the only thing that obviously is still up for debate is exactly what planet they're on which would denote which death star it is but my hunch is that it's pretty safe to assume that that's got to be the second death star and I think it's safe to assume that that's a either where Palpatine's little throne was or right. where his body fell, whatever it wh- I think that that's the connection to Palpatine that we're going to get here. And we're going to see that they're the darker, sinister, you know, puppet master or whatever. I don't even know. There's just so much here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the title, the title, The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> so what do you think that means? I can only speculate the, the, the fun fan theory that has been making the rounds is that the idea is okay. Ray's not a Skywalker, but she's the last person that can carry on the legacy of Luke Skywalker. Um, and so maybe this is almost like a, an honorary title or a rebranding of a light side force user, almost like rather than reestablishing the Jedi, she's going to sort of build on top of what Luke said in the last movie, you know, like the Jedi have to end. It was an institution that served a purpose, but as time went on, it became as much of a problem as the Sith. So maybe this is the notion that there's a a different way forward for light side force users. And maybe that's what Skywalker is at this point. It's, it's almost, you know, like their guild, their, uh, their, their title. Um, so it could be something along those lines, or, you know, it could be any of the characters that have some link to the Skywalker lineage. We, we just really don't know at this point. Okay. Uh, so next thing we got, uh, just a ton of information about this, uh, Disney streaming service, Disney mm-hmm. plus, um, and the Mandalorian is going to be released with the launching, but it's not being released all at once. So you watched the live stream of this panel, correct? Right. Yes. What can you say about how the actors feel about being a part of the show? Oh, uh, there was a good energy, you know, like you watch the, um, the rise of Skywalker panel and everybody's out there doing their jobs, but these are people that have been in the fray in this trilogy now for, you know, five years or so. Um, you don't get the same kind of enthusiasm or energy off them, but the principal actors in the Mandalorian, you could tell that, Oh, what a fantastic production to be involved in. Oh, my character was so much fun. Like they can't give too much away, but you could tell that everyone's really happy with how this thing's shaping up. And so I bought into that. I know that all of this is very carefully stage managed and everybody's kind of on script to a certain extent, but if an actor is enjoying <laughs> the role, that still kind of comes through. And I think that we were seeing a little bit of the satisfaction that everyone had with just how cool they think this is going to be for the fans. Yeah. And I think that the biggest thing that got me was when they brought out Pedro Pascal and they talked about his first meeting he had with John Favreau and he, and he talks about seeing all the posters on the wall and he's like, okay, so what do you want me to audition for? And they're just like, dude, you're the Mandalorian. And, <laughs> and he's just like, Oh my God. Like just seeing his excitement on, just getting the part, being told that he's going to have it. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, and then I also think that, uh, that Gina Carano, she was the second person that stuck out to me the most because she's just like, yeah, this is 
I feel more connected to this character than any of my characters I've played in, you know, film or television. So, right. yeah, the Mandalorian, we got a look at the Mandalorian. Um, well, not technically. <laughs> well, <laughs> you I, know, I, some... I'm referencing the, uh, the posters. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah uh, I, I do want to call out Lucasfilm a little bit because if you're at home and you take the time to, at least in my case, stop working, stop making money because you want to like see what Lucasfilm is cooking up. You tune in, you watch the panel because you're hoping for a snippet and then they black it out. <laughs> not cool. Like what, you know, what, what are you saving it for? <laughs> like, do you not, do you not want people to be able to see this awesome thing that you're cooking up? I just didn't understand the, the rationale as to why they denied that to us. So. I hope that they release a good quality version of it soon. Yeah. Well, and it's like, like they have the same relationship that Comic-Con has with the, the people that buy tickets and go like, uh, whenever they release certain, certain, uh, clips, they don't release it to the public. And I'm just like, okay, I kind of get it. But at the same time, we're still not in the room with them. Like we're missing out on that experience. So, mm. and that's what you're really paying for. You're paying for the experience, not necessarily to be like, I'm going to be the first one to see this trailer. Like you want to be in then, the room, then release it, it 12 hours later or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Like let, let them get the first scoop. Okay. I'm, I'm cool with that. But what you're doing is you're forcing anyone that wants to see it to watch a cheap cell phone bootleg version of it rather than get the full experience. People that want to find out what was in that trailer are going to see it because it's all over YouTube, but why not just give us a version that, you know, is, is watchable. You're, you're selling a product here and we're trying to buy it from you. Like, can't we work together on this? Anyways, like they gave us the clone wars stuff and they gave us the rise of Skywalker stuff. So what's so special about the Mandalorian that we don't get to have a sizzle reel, but whatever. That's my, uh, it's my complaint as someone that invested a solid hour in that panel and really felt deflated when, <laughs> you know, I had nothing to show for it. But I do love, uh, I love the logo and I love mm -hmm. just the set pictures and the, all the behind the scenes stuff that we were able to see. Um, and the suit of the Mandalorian. Yeah. Like this is amazing. Like this is so, he is so cool looking. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm nerding out just thinking about how cool looking he is and to know, and like, and I'm, and I feel like this excitement, uh, for Pedro Pascal that like, oh my gosh, he gets to be the guy mm -hmm. wearing that mat. Like I'm super excited for him because uh, I've said this a million times before. He is one of my favorite, if not my favorite actor. Oh yeah. And just perfect casting. He's Absolutely there, perfect amazing. casting. Yeah. This is cool. They're rehabilitating Boba Fett. This was what I always thought Boba Fett was before the prequels came out because he was mysterious. He was feared, right? Like he had a reputation for being an effective bounty hunter, but you knew nothing about him. He just quietly just went about his business. But when, you know, push came to shove, he could hold his own. Um, and then all of that mystique kind of evaporates when you see him as a little boy and you find out, okay, he's a clone and you know, like it, it just kind of, it sort of cheapened what that character could have been, uh, in a way. So for them to be able to clear the deck, give us basically a Boba Fett surrogate that is everything that the original Boba Fett could have been and then give us, uh, what is it? Six episodes to play with him. Uh, could not be more excited. This, ugh, what a fantastic way to kick off their TV venture. 
And there's just so many callbacks to all the generation of Star Wars fans. So we got, of course, the rifle from mm-hmm. the the holiday special, <laughs> um, which is just it's cool. It's great. It's one it's of great. those things where you could look back and just be like, well, yeah, that's the origin of Boba Fett, and that's where we first received this character that was that pe- that caught people's interest. Um, and you know, if you absolutely hated the Star Wars holiday special, you may like that portion of it where sure. we get Boba Fett. <laughs> um, but just the, the various, uh, like just his suit, the different mm-hmm. parts of it. Um, man, it just looks so amazing. I'm super excited for this. Yeah. Yep. And, Good show. and I also think that I'm excited that they're not releasing it all at once. Mm-hmm. I think that's the right way to do it. This is prestige TV. You want to, you want to keep the buzz, right? You want to get those headlines week over week as the new episode drops and where's the series going and everyone's making predictions. You lose all that when it's all just there, you know, in a day, like the Netflix style release. So, uh, I don't know. Disney seems to know what they're doing on this one. Absolutely, it just, yep. we've had a few missteps and stumbles with the movies over the last little while, but they really seem to know what they want to accomplish with TV and they are just putting everything they can behind it. And I'm just happy to see good decisions being made and good productions being made. And it just, it bodes so well for the future of star Wars. It does. It really does. And I think that, you know, I think it's safe to say that we are super excited to do some star Wars TV talk episodes on the Mandalorian. Yes. Well, I mean, that's kind of the whole point, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's certainly going to give us uh, plenty of fodder for the podcast. So just so that, everyone understands what we're doing here. The whole point of us ramping this up and trying to kind of get our rhythm here and, uh, using resistance kind of as our, our launching pad for star Wars TV talk is really to be able to be up to speed and running at, uh, you know, full capacity when the Mandalorian drops, cause we're going to be doing weekly recaps. We're going to be digging deep on it. It is basically going to be the crown jewel of what we're going to be doing with this podcast for the next year. So, uh, yeah, couldn't be more excited. Hopefully our listeners will be too. Yeah, we're hype Jedi's and Mandalorians, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got another look, a bigger look, a better look at this whole uh, final season, official final season of the Clone Wars. Right. And lo and behold, Ahsoka shines again. Yeah, I think we all kind of knew that it was going to continue to track her story predominantly, right? Like that's that that's the best thing that came out of the Clone Wars and it was the the only story really worth telling because we kind of already know Obi-Wan and Anakin's trajectory and the state of the galaxy. But the big question really is filling in all those blanks for Ahsoka's timeline between rebels and, uh, clone wars. So yeah, good stuff. And she's, and she's coming with, uh, some blue lightsabers. Mm. So what I, I was kind of, I, I don't know if shocked is the right word because, you know, whenever we see her leave, um, the clone wars and in the previous season, she has, you know, the green and like a weird yellow one at one point. Right. Or sure. am I just making that up? Uh, um, no, I, I, th- I think you're right, but I mean, it's, it's been a while now. I'm trying to remember if my, <laughs> if my recollection's fuzzy on it, but you know what, picking up new lightsabers along the way and mm-hmm. the stories that go along with <laughs> any particular character's lightsaber, that just might be, you know, a plot point that we pick up as we go with, with this final run of episodes, yeah. but you're right. This isn't what she had. No, when they well, and even off. in um and in rebels we see her with two white lightsabers, and mm-hmm. so it's just interesting to see. And I'm curious to see, you know, if we're, I I'm more interested to see what happens to her in this final season sure. and where she is going in this final season because we kind of just you know she kind of just shows up in rebels, right? 
Um, and that was the first time we saw her from whenever she walked away from the Jedi. Now, you know, she's coming back at, to some extent. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I think that that is what I'm most curious about is just seeing her story um, wrapped up in this area. Sure. Uh, because the rest of this stuff, we kind of, you know, we kind of get an idea. Like, we know what happens to the Emperor and mm-hmm. all that, and, and that storyline. We know what happens to the Jedi. We know what officially ends the Clone Wars, but we don't, there's still so many layers to this character that we haven't even looked under yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like so much of what Celebration presented, a lot of questions, not a lot of answers, but a lot of excitement generated, which I think is exactly what they were trying to accomplish. So, yeah. And, and I think <laughs> that what this show, uh, of course, the Clone Wars, the fact that they're bringing it back with hashtag Clone Wars saved is because that's what fans wanted. Like mm-hmm. fans started this whole movement of save the Clone Wars. Um, so the fact that that's coming back and then um, that Ahsoka has been this kind of roller coaster of a character where people love her and want to see more of her. And now, you know, she's back. So I think that this is something to where Lucasfilm is. And of course, the the master, the Jedi master himself, Dave Filoni, they're they're doing something they're super passionate about and they're doing something that they believe fans are going to love or else we wouldn't be getting it. I think, uh, I think the math on this tracks star Wars got a black eye a little while back. Lucasfilm had to pivot and reevaluate and strategize. And all the while they have a really great creative professional in their midst that has delivered home runs for Lucasfilm before and Dave Filoni. And so I think it was a pretty easy call for them to say, oh yeah, well, I mean, we killed the show. We know that you had already had a story arc worked out for the final season. We know that you had some pre-production done. So we're already halfway there. We have our, you know, our CG pipeline up and running with resistance. Like there's, there's no reason why we can't knock these out because you've already done the heavy lifting. Let's give the fans what they want. You know, this is a unifying thing. Everybody loves Ahsoka. There's just, there's no controversy in it. And we need something that is just going to land for everyone. It makes sense why they would come back to it after all this time. I'm glad that they are. I'm glad that the stars align that way. I wish that it it didn't take a little bit of drama sometimes to do that because I think they, they could have stepped back at any time and realized that they were kind of killing one of their darlings when they put Clone Wars out to pasture before letting Dave Filoni, you know, wrap it up the way that he'd wanted. Um, so maybe a little later than hoped for, but I'm glad it's back. Everything that we saw in the trailer just seems like, well, this, this looks like what clone Wars is supposed to look like. There's a lot going on, a lot of action. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I think it's probably going to be something that's really well received. And and I think more than anything, that's just because it's had so long to bake, you know, Dave Filoni's had this bouncing around his head. A lot of people at Lucasfilm that probably wanted to revisit it just as a passion project. And it was the right time to strike. They could go to Kathleen Kennedy and say, yeah, we can give you a quick win. We got something, uh, here that kind of lines up with what you guys want to do with TV. Why don't we revisit this? And, uh, it was just, yeah, good timing. Glad it happened. Well, and, and you have, you know, the transition into under the Disney umbrella. And so I, and, and immediately after that we get rebels. And so that was something that is greenlit immediately. And we get, um, and, and so I wonder if this was, and this is purely speculation, but I wonder if part of it is Disney seeing how rebels performed. And then after that, they were like, yeah, I guess we, we maybe should bring back this whole clone wars thing. It could be. I think at the time when Disney took over their first main concern was rehabilitating the brand and really getting control of their IP. And so they did kind of an across the board sweep. 
and just said, until we know what the strategy is for Star Wars, we don't want to be putting out more material that then may, you know, step on the toes of what we decide we want to do, you know, with, with the universe. So I think it was just a calculated business decision of we're just not ready to present more Star Wars to the world until we have a chance to sit down, wrap our heads around it. And by that time, you know, there was already a pitch in place for the successor to Clone Wars and Rebels. And they just said, well, you know, whatever, uh, let's just go with this, you know, cause this has legs. If we only had one more season of clone wars, uh, that we really could have played out. Why don't we go with this other vehicle that we know is going to bridge the gap until force awakened. So it, it all, it all lines up from a business standpoint. It's just really nice. Kind of like when TV shows get saved, like when family guy got brought back or whatever, it's just, it's, it's a nice thing sometimes for the fans to be able to feel like they got a win. Like someone was listening. This is what we wanted and they're delivering. And that just builds goodwill for Lucasfilm builds goodwill for the brand. This is the time for it. And not to mention there's a TV streaming service that could really use some content. So uh, yeah, win, 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 win. It, it's a great win. Um, and speaking of Disney, John, are you planning on, are you planning on coming down to Disneyland in the next couple months? In the next couple months? Absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, I have a gaggle of uh, babies slash toddlers that are not quite Disney ready, ready yet. You know, it takes a I'm few. Sure, I'm sure that I'm sure there are daycares down there at uh, Anaheim. Nothing, nothing like a <laughs> drop off your kid in Anaheim. Well, Galaxy's Edge looks great. We didn't get we didn't get a ton of looks at it, but we got kind of just a teaser at um, the uh, Millennium Falcon ride. Right. And man, I'm just. It, it's a good time to be a star Wars fan. Sure, absolutely. And you know, and, and all these people, they were saying that star Wars was dead. All the, the fans are toxic and I'm just like, yeah, they, it's cause you're listening to the loud 1% over there. Mm-hmm. But man, I, and, and I've already seen some shade and I'm not, I'm not for the shade, but shade thrown at, uh, episode nine, like, oh yeah, they're doing this to fix Ryan Johnson. I'm just like, yeah, I, I think Abrams just came in and is like, I'm going to wrap up the thing that I started with this trilogy. Yeah. Well, (laughs) people that talk about star Wars, they need something to talk about. And if they're the kind of person that is happy to drum up controversy where there need not be any to come up with something to talk about, because that gives them a nice clickbaity title for their article or their YouTube clip. Great. That's obviously not how we play it here. Um, but those kind of people are out there. Unfortunately, what can they hang their hat on? you don't know anything about the movie. You can't make these, you know, broad, uh, statements about the nature of the movie or the decisions that led up to it. There's really no bad blood that we're aware of between anyone involved in star Wars. It's just the fans that get so fickle over these properties, but from everything that I've been reading and some of it's a little bit of PR and admittedly, you know, you got to take everything with a grain of salt. It sounds like even though maybe there wasn't as much collaboration as would have been ideal when right. the pass the the torch was passed to Ryan Johnson. It sounds like Abrams is covering all his bases and he's trying yeah. to get as much perspective and as much just insight on what star Wars should be from all the key people that really understand it. And that includes Ryan Johnson and Lawrence Kasdan and even George Lucas. So yep. I think Abrams, one of his strengths is he's great at just synthesizing the joy in a property. Like he figures out what really works and he figures out creative ways to kind of just fuse that together into a fun outing. So I think the movie's going to be fun. I don't think that his intention is to walk back Ryan Johnson stuff though, to tell the story that he needs to tell, there's going to be certain things that he may have to gloss over. He may have to walk back a little bit, but that's more a function of him needing an elegant way to let his story unfold. And if it doesn't quite line up with what Ryan Johnson established, then yeah, you need to maybe retcon a little, or you just need to 
you know, fill in the details and maybe add a different perspective on some of what Ryan Johnson did. But I don't think that there's any animosity just driving him to want to, uh, you know, wipe the last Jedi from star Wars canon. Right. Then that's kind of the narrative that's going around is he's intentionally going in and unwinding all these things that Johnson set up because he's so, you know, miffed that he went off the rails with his story. That's just not the case. They're just trying to figure out how to pull this movie together with a lot of knocks against them. The Carrie Fisher stuff, the fact that, yeah, there wasn't as much planning and strategizing from the get go as there should have been. He's just trying to figure out the best way forward. And he's, he's a professional diplomatic kind of guy in his approach to that. So anyone that wants to build controversy into that really needs to just, you know, step back and, <laughs> well, and, and if you think about it, if you're a filmmaker and you're making a rage project, no one's going to connect with it, but you, right. So that's a poor strategy as a filmmaker. And yeah. Abrams has proved time and time again that he's a, good filmmaker. Yeah. His gift, like, like I said, is figuring out what really connects with fans and what can kind of bring joy. And that's why the force awakens works, not because the story was dynamic and original and just, you know, the most amazing deep, uh, you know, myth that like the original star Wars movies were like, it, it's not like it, it dug that deep, but he just figured out, okay, what do people love about Star Wars? What do they want to yep. see? How can I weave this all together into a fun story that's, you know, familiar and comfortable, but at the same time, you know, pushes forward in, in certain ways and up, ups the excitement level. Like he's just really good at walking those kind of lines. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's anyone better to synthesize all eight previous movies now into a satisfying conclusion. Yeah. And, and that's what, that's what I'm super excited about is that we get the conclusion of this Skywalker saga that we've been introduced, that we've been living with gener It's been passed down for sure. generations. <laughs> like if you think about how long this has lasted, every generation so they, has a legend. It's just, it's crazy. And so all of that stuff, uh, makes me super excited. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the, I'm ready for the future. And we didn't get, um, and rightfully so, like, I think a lot of people were thinking that, oh yeah, the Game of Thrones writers are going to show up at Celebration and talk. And it's like, yeah, no, we're not there yet. Like we're, we're tying, we're tying a bow on this generation. Then, um, you know, after episode nine and the next Celebration after that, we're, then we're going to start looking towards the future, which is the right move. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that Disney had that Disney learned their lesson from. Yeah. They're very savvy about their timing on these things and we didn't need it. They knew they were coming into this with a trailer for the movie. You know, that's going to sell celebration right there. They knew they had great things to talk about with Mandalorian. Cause that production just seems to be going swimmingly. They knew that fans were clamoring to find out something about clone wars. So why are they going to talk about things that are in pre-production that really don't have any shape or cast or anything that you can really point to? Why do you need to, offer that because it, it, it would come across as just kind of like tepid and underbaked. Whereas everything that they gave us was stuff that we can start getting excited about and rooting for because it's all in the final stages. We know this stuff is coming down the pipe real quick. What we did get though is a little bit of discussion from Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy about how that trilogy is going to shape up. And the notion that Benioff and Weiss are going to be collaborating with Ryan Johnson just to make sure that the new myth that they're going to build for this new time period in this new corner of the galaxy, whatever they're cooking up to give star Wars a fresh and sort of like untread area to tell a new story in, they want to make sure that all of their 
key directors and players are, are in the loop this time. So it sounds like they're doing all of that planning and long-term strategizing that they should have done with the Skywalker trilogy. Uh, it sounds like they've learned their lesson and they're really trying to make sure they've got the whole brain trust assembled and they really map out what this world is before they start telling the stories that we got, which for my money is the only thing I wanted to hear. All I want to know is that the creative people involved in these movies are all on the same page, working together to make these stories big and make them unified and make you feel like each time you go back to the theater, you're, you're truly getting to jump back to that point where, you know, you jumped off last time and you get to keep going. It doesn't feel like everything's disjointed or different tone or just everyone telling their own little stories that sort of haphazardly connect. I really want the feeling of unification that we got from the original trilogy. And I feel like that's what Lucasfilm is hopefully going to be doing. Well, and it's one of those things to where a couple months ago, there were a couple of articles out that Kathleen Kennedy was losing her job because Kevin Feige was down at Lucasfilm. And I, and I think that that, that the meeting that went down with Kevin Feige looking at it, this, at this point, they just asked him, they're like, how do you make the Marvel cinematic universe mesh so much? And he probably was like, Oh, they, uh, they all come out and work. The directors work together. Yeah. Like that was the biggest thing from, from phase one, you had Favreau meeting with Whedon. Then you had Whedon meeting with, right. uh, Kenneth brought like all these people that are, that are directing the films. And I think that that's what, I think that's what that meeting was about. Yeah. It's, it's very much having an astute coach. That's what Kevin Feige is. And that's what star Wars hasn't had Kathleen Kennedy. Great general manager, right? For a franchise. She's looking big picture. She's making sure the money's there. She's making sure the projects get greenlit and get marketed. Like she's, she's pulling back and looking at the company aspects of it, but you also need someone on the field, managing the players, making sure that everybody can make the plays. You know, people got to hand off. People got to know how to drive down the field. You can't just set a bunch of players loose in a game and expect them to be able to play as a team and achieve a goal. It just doesn't happen that way. That's why you have practice. That's why you have a coach. Kevin Feige serves that role and so much more. I mean, he's, yeah. he's amazingly versatile and just a multifunction kind of person, but that big unifying factor with the Marvel movies is that there's someone looking at the story and saying, okay, we got to plug people in here. We got to plug people in there and we got to make sure that everybody's on the same page yep. and we got to make sure that these stories unfold in a way that sets us up for our yep. next adventure, our next adventure. And just having someone with their eye on the ball was all that the Marvel cinematic universe needed to be possibly the greatest franchise success the world's ever seen. And star Wars has that potential more so because star Wars is even a sort of like a, a bigger playground in a lot of ways. Like it is a whole universe that you can capitalize on. If you have someone there figuring out how to walk that line from story to story. And uh, yeah, I just, I hope Lucasfilm took good notes. <laughs> and, and I think they did. And, and I think that what they realized is like, I'm going back to it, that they're focusing on let's finish up this saga that everyone was introduced to because right. every, you know, all of the, all of the trilogies were about this story. It, it pointed to the same person. It pointed to the same big picture. And so now that this is getting wrapped up, there's uh they can explore more with more open minds there because i think that that was at least for me when i first started um branching out and looking into the different properties my biggest thing was oh, well, all i really care about is 
Anakin and Luke Skywalker. Like, I don't care about all this other stuff. I just care about this. Why should I watch this? And so, but once I got out of that mindset, I was able to relax a little more and love the rest of the properties. And so I don't know if there are other fans out there that were like me, um, but I think that this is going to be like the official, like, all right, now relax and enjoy the ride and, you know, be more open to this stuff. Yep. The Disney era of Star Wars came out a little hot and not fully baked and not quite as organized and elegant as we would have hoped, but we're now at a turning point. Like you said, everything's been building to the conclusion of this trilogy. It's something they have to do, right? This is the story that has to be the sole focus of Lucasfilm right now. But after that, the real challenge is how do you reset and how do you get fans invested in a new swath of characters that we can then spin into adventures? We don't have Marvel, you know, we don't have a thousand superheroes that we can just weave in whenever, you know, it, it makes sense for us narratively. Um, we have to build this from the ground up without any of those previous supporting pieces of media. Uh, and that's really where their focus has to be. As soon as the rise of Skywalker is in the theaters, making sure that that's, uh, an elegant and, and really well-realized universe that they're building if they want to achieve the same heights that the Marvel cinematic universe achieved. And I think the potential's there. I think the talent's there. Uh, and I think that they've learned the lessons of don't just go for the quick cash grab and just assume that every star Wars movie is going to be a billion dollar movie. Let's really make sure that we're doing this right. And we're playing it smart and we're tr- truly protecting what star Wars is so that it's always special. When we bring something forward, it's always a win because we took our time and made sure that we were building it up in a way that was going to be satisfying for fans, but also investing in the universe. Yeah. I sure hope they pull that off. <laughs> and I, I, I've talked to Iger and Kennedy and they said their Good. number one priority is getting Zach Logan an Obi-Wan <laughs> series. So it's They couldn't, they couldn't announce that at celebration. No. Again, that's, it's, that's, it's that's all in the timing. <laughs> uh, I, I certainly hope that that's something that we do see on the streaming service. Yep. It very well could be, we got the Mandalorian. We know we've got a winner. This was a fun production. It's going to be great. It's going to launch the service. We're going to learn all our lessons, iron out all our kinks in the streaming service. And then we're going to green light Obi-Wan as one of our next, you know, few anthologies. Cause they're not going to stop. If Mandalorian drops and makes them the money, they think they're going to make on it. Yeah. Then the floodgates open on TV. Yeah. Right. They're going to well, take their time with the movies. With Cassian. Well, they're, yeah, Cassian there you go. Series. Yep. Yeah. So we know that they're eager to have more content on the TV, uh, streaming service. The money is there to play with. And I'm certain that that's where Obi-Wan's going to end up because it seems like really all they want to do right now with the movies is establish the new corner of the galaxy, the new time frame, and the new you know, just situation that they want to drop the next era of trilogies into. All righty. Do you have any more, uh, star Wars celebration stuff you wanted to dis- discuss? Oh, well, I mean, there's lots, but you know, we've already dug pretty deep on the most exciting stuff. Um, my, my real hope is just that everything that we didn't hear about turns out to be as well handled as what we have heard about. Cause everything seems to be really, really nicely unfolding right now. Well, and I think that that going back to them learning their lessons is I think they, they started giving some on the set updates of solo prematurely <laughs> sure. um, because they were releasing a lot of stuff when Lord and Miller were doing that. And then all of a sudden, Oh wait, what? They're not here anymore. Mm-hmm. What happened to all this stuff we were hearing about? Right. <laughs> so, uh, but back to some television. Oh yeah. Resistance wrapped a couple <laughs> or not wrapped that, but they, uh, they gave us our season one finale a couple weeks ago. That is true. So, 
man, you were right with all of your predictions from episode one that you thought that, oh yeah, it's going to end with mm-hmm. Osnian Prime getting blasted. <laughs> I will tell you, one thing I did not predict was that the Colossus was going to fly out of the sea and yeah. jump into hyperspace. That was one I did not see coming. So good on them for figuring out how to just, you know, freshen things up and be creative with, yeah. with uh, the storytelling there. Yeah, that was a, a fun little twist at the end there. Yeah, and I think that this also, because the show's name has been Star Wars Resistance, and there's only been two official Resistance people in the show, like, actually doing stuff. Right. And I, so, so I think this is kind of the launching more into seeing what the different branches of the resistance is doing. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think they kind of spelled it out because the Colossus is on its way to try and make contact with the greater resistance. I just thought it was going to be this small contained story where they start to build a resistance against the first order occupation of Colossus, but they uh, told that story pretty quick. You know, they figured out, Hey, we could just blast all these stormtroopers into the sea and call it a day, <laughs> get them off our station. I thought that that was going to be all a season two. I thought that it was all going to be about just trying to get the first order out of there. And, uh, nope, we are off to fight the fine fight with, uh, well, they're not going to be happy with what they find out because we're, we're about a week and a half away from the entire, you know, resistance fleet getting devastated during the last Jedi. And then they're going to be told, oh yeah, you can come to crate and (laughs) help us here. Oh yeah. We're, we're, we're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's also was explained with Niku. So I think that's something they covered because maybe a question some people had was, well, if they're launching out of Colossus, why don't they go help people on crate? And it's just like, well, Nico, Niku didn't exactly give them a proper destination right. in hyperspace. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's the fun of it. It's kind of where we're going. <laughs> yeah. It's the, uh, first start of the left and straight on till morning. It's just wherever adventure takes us at this point. Um, I'm assuming that they're going to have to cross paths with the greater resistance at some point, but yeah, who knows? They've, they've certainly opened themselves up to a lot of possibilities for season two. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, a lot of stuff happened that I was super stoked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew right from the beginning, as soon as the first order started canceling races on a planet that's economic <laughs> yes. thriving on races, that was yeah. a poor decision. That wasn't going to end well for them. You can impose a curfew, but do not take away our races. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, you be Nazis, mm-hmm. but be Nazis and let us race. Still. Sure. Like, <laughs> Even the um, Nazis attended the Olympics. Like it's exactly. Yeah. You, they overplayed their hand. They, they had everything well in hand keeping everyone subdued. And yeah, then they crossed the line. They, they messed with, uh, the bartender there, uh, yep. on, on car plot, the female version yep. that seemed to be the line in the sand, like where you can't go any further than that. But, but they got, um, you know, some cool shout outs there. Like we got a, a Maz shout out mm-hmm. basically like, Oh yeah, we know someone over here. We can go out there and yeah, we'll meet like, up yeah, on taco Donna. People. And yeah, yep. of course they know where she is. She's mm-hmm. Maz. <laughs> um, and then we saw, the firing of Stark Killer Base and possibly wiping out Kaz's family. Yes. That's possibly the darkest thing that happened on this show. Yeah, like for scale, absolutely. And for Kaz, obviously, you know, it had the most impact. And a defining moment for him, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, you didn't see a whole lot of like bumbling, happy-go-lucky Kaz after that. Like you right. get the sense that what they're doing is much like Luke returning back to the farm to find out, okay, you know what? The situation's changed. I don't have to worry about moisture evaporators anymore. Now my job is to 
you know, right the wrongs of the galaxy. Uh, I think Kaz is at a similar turning point to that. And that's probably what's going to be explored more in season two. Yeah. And I think that it's the transition of him like, oh yeah, I'm no longer a spy in this. Like there's, mm-hmm. I have more, I have more blood in the game. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a fighter at this point. Like I'm getting out on that platform. I'm, I'm going to try and, you know, get Tam back before it's too late. Like he was in it. <laughs> he was in it all the way from that point on. So yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Tam, what's going on with her? Are we going to get like, is she going to be redeemed or what's, what's going on? <laughs> Uh, another big open-ended question. Obviously, we know that she has a good heart. You know, she's not an evil character. So the likelihood that we see her truly evil in this show, I think is slim to none. Yeah. I could see her showing up as a first order cadet at some point and having to be talked back from the brink of truly investing emotionally in this totalitarian regime. I could see that being explored when they cross paths with her again. Um, she's conflicted. She's going to be the conflicted character that eventually has to make the choice to uh, do what's right, even when it isn't easy, which is kind of what we saw with the pirate uh, character mm-hmm. this, this season. I can't remember her name yeah. to save my Sonara. life. Sonara. Yes. So we, we did get that resolution there, right? Where yep. when push came to shove, we know what we have to do. She rallied the pirates. So, yep. you know, we, we probably are going to see something like that from Tam next season. Yeah. Hopefully we, hopefully we do, because that was. That was something like this. And I was talking about this, like, you know, Yeager was kind of making a mistake with Tam. Like you should let her in and tell her somewhat of the stuff that's going on instead of keeping everything from her. Because when she finds out that, oh yeah, you met this guy, Kaz, and you're working with him and telling him all your secrets, but now, but I've been with you for years and you don't trust me enough. And so, because I think that was her major thing that caused her to. Sure. It threw her off kilter. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She didn't have anyone that she could truly trust in that situation because this resentment had been building up for the last couple months since Kaz has been there. She's had no context to, to, to understand what the real situation was. And the first order was able to spin a yarn before they had a chance to really bring her into the fold. So yeah, all of their fumbling with her exacerbated a bad situation and just hopefully it's not so far gone that they can't win her back next season. Yeah. Uh, and so what were some of your favorite things about season one? I really loved how they handled the slow, insidious creeping in of tyranny on Colossus. It wasn't a dumb sort of in your face. We're here now and we're just Mm -hmm. going to trample everyone. And it's just a very like obtuse affront to the freedom of the station. What they did felt very true to life. They Mm -hmm. came in, they started to assert themselves slowly. They started to, uh, crimp people's ability to just move freely around the station. And just, they just created a, a low level anxiety and, and tension for everyone on the station that started to bubble up. And as it starts to bubble up, their answer is to increase the amount of tyranny because you need to push that back down. And so you get that, you know, conflict of people feeling uneasy and feeling like they need to assert themselves. And then you've got the first order feeling like, well, now we have to quash that. And that just grinds until it bubbles over. And that just felt like really, really solid storytelling for yep. what seemingly is a kid's show. And yeah. I love that, that they were just able to handle that as, as nicely as they did. Yeah. I, I 
completely agree. That's my favorite. That is my favorite part of the yeah. show is that it's showing that that sinister nature of the First Order and that they didn't just come in and kick people's doors down and be like, all right, we're in control now. Right. But they got they kind of convinced you like they convinced Tam like, yeah, well, you know, we're here. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are going to be your new government, but we're protecting you from the pirates. Sure. And then it turns into like, well, now we're we're protecting you from yourself. So we have to, you know, we have to collect some money. We have to collect some product right. from you because you're in danger of yourself. And it reminded me a lot of the early stages of the of the Nazi empire. Sure. Because, you know, Hitler kind of just started off like sneaking in, going to the meetings with the democratic peoples of the world and basically saying like, listen, guys, just give me a little more space. Let me have a little more <laughs> and then I'll be done. And then, and then like, you know, I'll, I'll I'll go up once I get to Poland. I'll stop at Poland, and then it's it's just whatever. Okay, well, let me just go into Poland now. They need our help. Their economy sucks. Our economy sucks. We're going to be great together. And then all of a sudden, boom, Poland is under their control, and we're like, oh, yeah, we have to fight a world war with these people now. Well, there you go. World War II summed up in 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, that was a very uh, cursory reading of World War II, but your point is well-founded. Yes. <laughs> this is how things happen. Um, people buy into the idea that they need security, Mm -hmm. but in order to receive security from a totalitarian regime, you have to give up your liberty. And as soon as captain Doza, the second that he acquiesced and didn't hold the line on that, it was too late. You let a camel get his nose under the edge of your tent. Eventually you're going to have a camel in your tent. (laughs) That's, that's what happens with any kind of authoritarian system. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they, they just really painted it in a nice, subtle and satisfying way that was still palatable for kids. Like kids can track all of that and get the, get the message. Uh, yeah, just really well handled. And Tam was a, 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 was a voice to that because when the first order gets there, everyone's like super skeptical about it. And she's on, well, they're just here to help. Yeah. Like they're helping us because we keep getting attacked by pirates. Mm-hmm. They're doing us a good deed. And they're like, but yeah, but what are they, what about all the bad stuff they're doing in the galaxy? Well, we don't actually know they're doing right, that. Right. We just hear they're doing that. And so it's like one of those things that we don't, um, that I thought they handled really well. And mm-hmm. like, you know, and like you said, it's something that can be tracked. Yeah. It, it's, it's human nature to be, um, irrationally comfortable with something that offers you safety, right? Like, we will gladly turn a blind eye to someone's bad qualities if for some reason, you know, it's, it's making us feel secure and safe and warm. And that was kind of the trap that Tam fell into was she was looking at the obvious things mm-hmm. that were seemingly better under the first order and turning a blind eye to the much larger, more potentially catastrophic things that were coming down the road. You know, she didn't have that insight to be able to really gauge the, the true weight of what she was giving up when you know when she embraced them um beautiful beautiful i don't know many kids cartoons that are telling that story and uh good on them and and something that they're because you know kids are watching the the rest of star wars properties too Mm -hmm. and so whenever they see that that very nazi-like speech yeah um from the force awakens yeah and and then they see that and and i thought was cool because of course that's what the first order is doing they're broadcasting this to every station so that everyone can see mm-hmm. their, you know, their, their commander to launch this huge weapon that they've been building this whole time. Right. Um, so it just stinks to be in Kaz's shoes and to be in the wrong room at that time and watch his whole planet get destroyed. But you know, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's happened to all of us, you know, at some point or another. 
<laughs> uh, as a dramatic turning point to underscore the uh, transition from boy to man, <laughs> you know, yeah. very effective scene. And again, well handled because it's not needlessly gratuitous for a young audience. You know, there's nothing really, you know, gory or traumatic for the viewer, but the weight of what yes. it meant to Kaz was well presented. So again, some just really competent storytelling going on here in the last few episodes that I'm really happy that the show got to that point because it's so easy to write it off the first few episodes as this is just lighthearted kids fair with no real like underlying story or anything that anyone other than a seven-year-old can really take away. Um, but no, no, this is uh this has been a surprisingly satisfying ride as a 38 year old man. <laughs> I <Yeah>. can, <laughs> I can say that I'm glad that I invested the time in watching it. Yeah. And it, and it's just been, it, it, we keep going back to it, but it, it's fun to look at. Oh anything. yeah. But the yeah. storytelling, it is advanced storytelling and you don't get a lot of cartoons that's geared to this age group that has this type of storytelling. And so I think that, you know, once again, Filoni is flexing his muscles and the rest of the riding crew there that they're showing like, yeah, we can still make this and we can, we can show that these different tones can exist and that it, they all tell a good story. You know what I hope? And I have absolutely no facts to back this up. This is just pure speculation, headcanon, call it what you want. This is just a fantasy of mine. Mm-hmm. My hope is that Filoni has not touched this show since they developed the pilot. Yeah. The reason being, if he hasn't touched this show since then, like if he genuinely just went off to Mandalorian and said, okay, that's where my focus is going to be. I've set this show up. You guys are in good hands. You got the basic sense of where to take it. I trust you. I'm stepping back. Uh, show me what you can do. If that was the case, then that means that there is a whole new generation of creative professionals at Lucasfilm that are able to take star Wars and unfold it in a really fun way that understands the material, understands the audience that understands just what star Wars should be to be fun and, uh, just a satisfying outing for whatever your target audience is. We can bring this home. We can tell a good story. If there's other people involved in this production that took the reins and ended up unfolding the story as satisfying as we're both suggesting that it is, right. then that means that when Filoni's off doing this, maybe there's some other rock star that's going to start to, yeah. you know, come up through the ranks. That's going to be, they're going to hand him the reins of a production or her. And yeah. that person is going to be able to do something fantastic in this corner of the galaxy. So what I really hope is that this show is uh Filoni larvae. That this is yeah. everything that he left behind for sort of like more juvenile star Wars TV fair. He can go off and do the big stories like Mandalorian now because he's kind of proven himself and now he's doing some live action directing. So he's rounding out his skill set to be able to be a showrunner and really do great things. And now everything that he left behind, the people that he trained, just the, the love of the storytelling and the love of finding the core of the story and the heart of the story and the, Mm -hmm. the classical themes that are going to resonate with people. If he was able to infuse that another generation, kind of like what. George Lucas was able to do with the clone wars team and Filoni in particular, you know, a a decade or more ago. Um, if that's what we're seeing in the resistance, then great in 10 years, all that's going to bear fruit. And we're going to have three other rock stars that are going to be off doing great things. That's what I I mean. It almost has to be that way because I don't, if, if that's the case, then Filoni's not sleeping. If he's sure, if he's actually writing all this stuff, then he's just not sleeping. Well, no, no, he's not writing, but if, if you're going to be kind of like a hands-on showrunner, you are, 
breaking the season, right? Like you're coming up with the, the main through line of the season and the story beats, and then you're assigning that to your writing staff. And then you are doing script reviews. You're offering notes, you're doing rewrites. Like you have a team, but you're still quality control and you're still the, the one that ultimately drives the story to the goal. If Filoni wasn't doing that and someone else was doing it, they did a damn yeah. good job. And I can't wait to see Lucasfilm say, Hey, you know what? That person on resistance, they, they got something, they got that spark. Let's hand yeah. them a series. Let's hand them a movie. And that's yes. what I want to see. Cause that's basically what they did with Filoni. And that is as, as long as there's been industry of any kind, there has been the master apprentice formula of passing on expertise and craftsmanship. Lucasfilm needs craftsmen. They need people that are genuine storytellers that just understand Star Wars and understand the industry and the production aspects of it. We need those well-rounded people. Filoni is that Favreau's that we need some more of that. <laughs> I hope, we sure I do. hope that we're, I hope that this is a boot camp for them. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, maybe that is, maybe this was kind of something that was maybe I, it, they're definitely not a whole lot of chips here for Disney. Disney wasn't forced to like, okay, let's release another show. <laughs> like this was very low risk for them. And so the fact that we even got it released is just like, okay, well, it's pretty good. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's keep going with it. And then we got a season two. It's like, all right, well, let's keep going with it. Um, and the absence of BB eight didn't hurt me too much. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I like that little pink droid. Can't remember its yep. name, but it's a plucky one. I can get behind that. Yep. And of course I love Niku. So as long as Niku's there and steering, steering the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, they need to teach him a little more about steering the ship, but <laughs> yeah. So a uh, pretty satisfying conclusion to season one. I got to say they, they had a few yes. surprises up their sleeve for the finale that I thought worked. They mm -hmm. gave us the emotional gut punch that we needed that ties it into the larger star Wars mythos with star killer base. So we got all that. We got a, a really, really nice little peek in on another aspect of what was unfolding as we were watching the force awakens. And, uh, yeah, I'm grinning. I'm, I'm really, really pleased with what they did with this show. And, and we got Kaz as a really good pilot in the last yeah. couple episodes. So that was fun to see for me, just seeing like, Oh, Hey, he, he is, he's, he's got a skill yep. that he's playing to, and he's a good pilot because he's flying around this this crappy little ship and shooting down some really good stormtroopers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hope that they continue to let Kaz get more confident in his skills and more, you know, comfortable as a leader or just a, like a man of action, yeah. because a lot of what we had in season one was running from danger, stumbling, and just kind of bumbling his way to victory. And that can only carry you for so long. At a certain point, a character has to step up and say, Nope, I'm, I'm just going to do what needs to be done. And I think that's where Kaz is at now. So if there's a more serious version of him in the next season, I think that would be a satisfying way to continue his, his art. Well, and I think that, uh, that Yeager was kind of speaking to that because a person that's been holding, you know, quote unquote, holding Kaz back right. the most has been Yeager. And the fact that we get the line from Yeager where he goes, Oh, he's a really good pilot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, like, oh, I need to have him do this more. Yeah. So maybe Poe did see something in him. Like maybe there's a reason why this buffoon was foisted on me a couple months back. Yeah. It was really nice to see them try and execute a plan and just be 100% committed. Uh, in this case, we're talking about like going after Tam and just trying to uh, use all of their, you know, their cunning and their wits to try and uh, uh, bring her back from the brink, even though 
the larger focus should have been on just, you know, the station and, and, you know, the other issues brewing, uh, it, it was a nice little nod to kind of a hero's character where it doesn't matter what the situation is when a, a friend's in danger, there's nothing else that matters. You just, you go full steam ahead and you just keep driving until you're able to bring them back. I really enjoyed kind of seeing Kaz in that mode, right? Like yeah. it, 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 it felt like growth for the character. Uh, even more satisfying that they didn't give the obvious payoff of getting Tam back and her, and her saying, Oh, I didn't even realize. And I'm so glad you guys showed yeah. up when you did like that would have been cheap storytelling, but you get all of this sort of like ferocity from Kaz and it doesn't pay off, you know? And so now there's, you know, remorse and, you know, could I have done more? And there's just, there's now so much more complexity in his character. And that's what I've been waiting to see. And I, I feel like we just, we got a taste of it in the finale, which is what really is going to bring me back to see what they do with him in season two. Yeah. Same here. It was a good season one. I'm super excited to see what they're going to do with season two. Mm-hmm. And, and based on the poster they released, it uh, it already does kind of look like it's it's a more serious um, combination of characters. Yeah. Well, they roped in all the seven year olds and they're all going to be turning eight. So now yep. they can have a <laughs> one year more mature version of resistance next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's going to be good. I'm going to tune in. You know, we're, we're going to have the Mandalorian. We're going to have a bunch of other stuff, uh, Cassian, but uh, I think we'll still probably find time to keep up with our resistance because it's worth talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. It is. And, and I think that there's a group of listeners that really enjoy the show as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review on iTunes. For every 10, we give away some awesome Star Wars merchandise. And you can find us on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Star Wars TV Talk. You can also check out our website, www.StarWarsTVTalk.com. And a special thanks to Laid Wogan for this intro and outro music. You can follow him on SoundCloud.com slash Laid Wogan. Thanks for listening. And remember, the Force will be with you.